We're going to do something uh, a little different for a few weeks. Haven't done this for a while. Uh, we're still sticking with our Hang Tough series, although we're moving from 1 Peter, which we've been in for about five months now, and we're moving into 2 Peter, which is one of the less well-known books of the New Testament. It, it's seldom cited. It's not really a, a, a go-to letter for many Christians. Uh, but what we're going to do slightly differently is spend a, a number of Sunday mornings on only a handful of verses, on the same verses, 11 in total, although specifically seven. And so we're going to take our time, and we're going to keep listening to them. We're going to kind of play them on a loop week after week for not entirely sure how long, okay? But at least three weeks, but, but maybe longer. And, and the reason for doing this the reason for doing this is because contained within these verses or kind of encompassed within them is, as someone has described, the secret of more. The secret of more. Peter tells us about seven old things to make life new. Seven old things to make life new. It's, it's been a while since I threw out a Bible memorization challenge. I think the last time was last summer. Whenever I invited people to memorize what? Romans 12, brilliant. And all those who just said that know it off by heart, and that's brilliant. But here's another challenge for you if you're up for it. Here's another chunk of scripture to hide in your heart. It's 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Now, that's just seven verses. Romans 12 at 21 verses. This is just a third, okay? So 2 Peter 1, 3 to nine is what I'm throwing out as a, a challenge to memorize those over the next few weeks. So let's stand together and read them. They'll be on the screen here. Uh, and we're actually going to, go ahead, stand out with me. We're, we're actually going to recite these words together this morning in unison. Uh, so let's, uh, let's say them together. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this, oh, sorry, there it is. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Grab a seat. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything 
We need for life and for godliness. So let me ask you a question. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Do you believe that? Now, this kind of challenges the idea that some of us think we haven't got what it takes to live this life. I hear this from time to time. Some of us think we're not quite there yet. We're not as well-resourced as others around us this morning. That we're somehow less able than others, that we're less equipped. I hear this. Well, let me put it like this. You may not have what they have. But according to this text and this verse, you have everything you need. Can I say it again? Because I say, we, we, we tend to do this, we look around as we compare ourselves to others. You may not have what they have, but you have everything you need for life and godliness. And, note, and this, is, this is really, really important. It's not that any of us has it in and of ourselves, but according to Peter, God's divine power has given us it, has given us everything. Everything that we need comes from and is supplied by God. We lack nothing for this life, a life of godliness, nothing. Nothing's hidden, nothing's held back. But here's the thing, that's not a catch, but it's certainly a thing, it's a fact. There is, for want of a better word, some assembly required. Now, Peter says this, for this very reason, right? Because you have got all you need. And remember, God's divine power has given you it. So, so like, can't, don't argue with me. God's divine power has given us everything we need. And so later on, as he connects the two sections together, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add. And then what follows are seven virtues or seven character qualities. Here they are, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. There's godliness again, mutual affection, love. Now, all of these those of you who've got a copy of God's Word in front of you will see this. All of these are led on something. And, and we'll, we'll come to that. But we are to make every effort, or let me put it like this, we are to spare no effort. We are to do all we can to add them. And we'll get there in a moment. And if we do all we can to add them, if we make every effort, if we spare no effort, then... Here's what's going to happen. If these seven qualities are active in our lives, two incredible things happen. According to Peter in verse 8, still, if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you, have a look. Two incredible things will happen. According to verse 8, you will be effective and you will be fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus. You will be effective and fruitful or productive in your knowledge of Jesus. Here's, here's how the ESV puts it. For if, there's the if, by the way, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, okay, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now, that's some incentive. You will know Jesus more. Here is the secret of more. 
So let's tease this out a little further because there appears to be a bit of a clash here, and I know that. To some people, this sounds a bit weird. We have everything we need is how Peter begins. You have all that's required to live life to the max. But then he continues, for this reason, make every effort to add. Like, which is it? Have we got everything or do we not? How do you understand this? How do you process this? You've got everything. His divine power has given it to us. For this reason, make every effort. Well, yes, you do have everything you need for life and godliness. But as I said, it requires some assembly. It calls for the D word. Or two D words. Can anybody guess what the two D words are? Go and have a go. Don't worry if you're wrong. Pardon? Discipline? Yep. That's one of them. And diligence. Discipline and diligence. You see, just because it's all there, just because we have everything we need, doesn't guarantee we'll put it to best use. It's just, just how it works. Having all you need is not the same thing as making off it all you can or should. And the crucial word in this sentence here, in God's word, is the word for. God has given you everything for life and godliness, but that tiny word for implies there's a huge responsibility on our part. Huge. Here's how someone has described it, and I find this helpful, although I'm, I'm fully aware that no illustration is perfect or foolproof. But imagine you were given everything you need for a house. Everything you need for a house, the land, the equipment to clear and prepare the land, the plans are there, the permissions are there, the tools are there, the materials are there. It's all there right down to the last galvanized screw and strip of chimney flashing. The full inventory of supplies are at hand. Everything you need for a house is available. It's intact. Now, make every effort. Because you see, without that, without your intentional input, wood weathers, roof trusses rot, nails rust, weeds flourish, tools and machines oxidize, years pass, and you're still living in a port of cabin on site. And the point is this, unless you make every effort, unless you take what you've been given and do something with it, you will build nothing. You'll build nothing. God has provided, his divine power provides the entire inventory. Every single thing you need for life and godliness is at hand. And so to quote verse five in the message, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. And so my question to you this morning is, how are you getting on? How are you getting, what is the effort level like? Now, as we dig deeper into this, let's go back and stick with the house analogy for a moment because you see a house needs foundations. Foundations have got to be in place. Otherwise, any effort is a potential waste of time. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the seven virtues that are on the screen that we are to make every effort to add to our lives are to be led on something. But what are they to be led on? Again, if you have a copy of God's word in front of you, engage with us. What are they to be led on? What is foundational? What is the groundwork that I need to build on? Well, the answer is in verse five, and it's this. It's faith. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And then we come to the seven things, and Peter itemizes the add-ons. Now, in this 
verse here, Peter hardly takes a breath. He doesn't pause. He just, as it would seem anyway, that he assumes that faith is in place in these readers' lives, in these believers' lives in this first century. He just assumes that that's the way it reads. He assumes the foundation is laid, but you know something? We need to pause because the issue of faith is crucial here. Otherwise, there is every chance in the world that someone is going to start thinking, or someone is already thinking this, and I know they are, and you're maybe already here in your head and in your heart and in your mind that this, David, is sounding all very works-orientated. This all sounds very me-dependent. This reeks off moralism and legalism. This smacks off somehow trying to work for your salvation as opposed to the biblical idea of working out your salvation. It sounds very like the way you've introduced a lot of this or I'm I'm sensing that this is down to us and what we do. And that, quite frankly, is incredibly dangerous. And I know that, I know that. And so we need to emphasize, we need to publicize the importance of faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God, says the writer of Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whatever is done apart from faith, even good things is skewed. We can acquire, we can try to acquire every virtue, every character, quality under the sun, but virtue bereft of faith wears out and wears us out. Faith anchors virtue. More than that, it releases virtue. It enlivens it. It sustains it. It directs it. Put bluntly, it is impossible to be good without God. Faithless virtue is short-lived and ultimately it's futile. So the question is, what is faith? That is absolutely essential, that needs to be in place in our lives, that's foundational, that's the groundwork, which we then have to make every effort to build on and add to. What is it? Well, to answer that and to set this all in its right place and right framework and to ensure we get off on the right foot and not head down some dead-end alley, we need to start reading Second Peter from the very first verse instead of what I did this morning, starting reading it at the third verse, which I know has probably troubled some of you. So let's untrouble you and uh, start reading from the first verse. So here is how Peter begins his second letter. So let me just click this. Here's how Peter begins this second letter. Simon Peter, so again, just identifies himself as the author. And I know, I know for some, some of you are aware that there is some query as to whether Peter, the apostle Peter, did write this particular letter, but the majority of Bible scholars and most people believe he did. So anyway, Simon Peter, who then identifies himself in two ways. He says, I'm a servant, I'm a slave of Jesus, and I'm also an apostle of Jesus. And then he says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ has received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. To those who have received a faith as precious as ours. And so two things are clear here, and this is critical. Faith is a gift And faith is a treasure. And as a gift, we can and only should receive it. And as a treasure, we absolutely must, well, treasure it. You see, we have done and can do nothing to discern it, to earn it, 
But faith, which is necessary for salvation, is a divine gift. We need to emphasize this. As Paul tells the church in Ephesus, the believers there, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it's what? It's a gift of God. And then he goes on to say, not by works so that anyone can boast. And here, Peter makes it clear that this faith received is through something. Now, it's not through what we have done, anything we have done, but it is through, look at this, the righteousness of God. In other words, it is rooted in what God has done. It's anchored in his saving righteousness, his free gift of salvation in accordance with his love and mercy. And the source of God's saving righteousness is what? It's Jesus. And so it says here, it's through God saving his righteousness and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So faith is a gift that we receive. It's a treasure that we value. And like Peter's original readers, many of us sitting here in Fain Street Primary School this morning have received this incredible gift. Many of us, most of us, have received this incredible gift. We did nothing to deserve it, did nothing to earn it. We've received it through God's righteousness, and through Jesus, our Savior. And therefore, what that means is we are then able to live a life that pleases God. So we're saved by faith. We are in relationship with God by faith. The foundation is in place. That's what we're to add to. That's what we're to build on. Faith is, if you like, let's use it on. It's like the root system. And now picking up what Peter says in verse 8, now we can become fruitful. Because as Luther put it, and, and Luther was a church reformer in the 16th century who went to great lengths to clarify, listen, we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone and faith, by faith alone, through Christ alone. He went to great lengths to emphasize that, and we believe that passionately. But Luther also said that faith without fruit is false. Faith without fruit is false, or in the words of the Apostle James, faith without works is dead. So faith has got fruit to bear. Faith has got virtues to display. And that is what so much of the New Testament teaches and emphasizes. And so here Peter says, listen, you have got everything you need. You have everything. God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Faith is in place which you have received as a gift and you must treasure it. Now, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Boom, 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 boom. And back up again to verse two, just as we, and, and this morning I'm really just trying to kind of paint a big picture and then we're gonna get down into the specifics in subsequent weeks. But back again to verse two, because it's another one of those classic opening New Testament greetings because Peter says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I made the point last week as we finished the final chapter of 1 Peter that one of Peter's favorite words and favorite ideas and thoughts centered around God's grace. Peter loved to write about it and talk about it and emphasize it and stress it and highlight it. And it was Peter's deep and burning desire that his readers, including us, would know God's grace in their lives, God's amazing, saving, sustaining, outrageous grace. 
And therefore, it's no surprise that as Peter starts his second letter, he repeats something that he wrote right at the beginning of his first letter. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Those who were following this will know that's how Peter started 1 Peter 1. That's how he starts 2 Peter. Peter longs for God to multiply his grace and peace in the lives of his readers. And why? Why does he want that? Here's the reason, because he knows that their growth, their progress in the Christian life is dependent upon upon God's grace and peace. They need, we need God's grace and peace every single day of our lives. But here in 2 Peter, the the apostle adds something more to that opening sentence. He says, yes, grace and peace be yours in abundance, which is what he said in chapter one, but he adds something in chapter two. He says this, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here is how grace is multiplied in your life. Here is how peace is multiplied in your life. It's through knowing God and Jesus personally, relationally, intellectually. Biblical writers never divorce head and heart in terms of spiritual growth. Grace and peace abound and flourish whenever we know more about God and whenever we know God and Jesus in a deeper way. That's what Peter says. Grace and peace multiplies, it abounds in your life as you get to know more about God and as you know God and Jesus. So the first one, obviously, is God the Father and Jesus in a deeper way. This is Peter's passionate prayer for his readers that grace and peace would be theirs in bucket loads through their knowledge of God and Jesus. And how does that happen? How does that happen? How do we get to know more about God? How do we deepen our relationship with God and with Jesus? Well, it's as we walk with him. It's as we talk with him. It's as we pray. It's as we read. It's as we reflect. It's as we meditate. It's as we worship. It's as we serve. Things we gotta do. Choose to do. So faith is a precious and saving gift that we've received. That is what determines our relationship and connection with God. Nothing else, nothing more. And God's grace in our lives multiplies as we grow in our knowledge of God, which then brings us to verse three that I want to spend a few weeks following, exploring. But not only does it bring us there, it makes sure we read it properly. Because what we're saying is, listen, what we're talking about here about this make and every, this is not what we must do to save us, but this is what we must do to grow. This is what we must do to mature, to develop, to push into the life that God wants for us. This is what we must do to discover the secret or to unlock the secret of more. And so as I bring us to a close for now, here's what I really am saying. Grace precedes demand. And this is typical New Testament teaching. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. And Peter's prayer for all of us is that this grace would abound. Yes, that's essential. But the priority, here's the point, the priority of grace does not cancel out strenuous moral effort. The priority of grace does not cancel out strenuous moral We are to make every, we are to apply. Any of you who've gotten a new American standard version of the Bible will see, we are to apply, says Peter, all diligence. You see, there is a view that says, and I've mentioned this before, there is a view that says, let go and let God. Just let go and let God. And I I, kind of get what people mean by that. I do. But as I read scripture, 
And this is a prime example here in 2 Peter 1. As I read scripture, we have a critical part to play in our discipleship. There are certain demands. Effort, diligence, discipline are required. Let me be really personal and honest at the moment. See if I was to let go and let God, whatever that actually means. But if I was to let go and let, if I was to ditch the two D's in my life, discipline and diligence. If I was to sit back and hope for maturity and depth in my Christian life, I'm not sure where I would be today. I'm honestly not sure where I would be today. I'm not saying I would lose my faith. Of course, I'm not saying that. But you see, without intentionally making, and it's every, I mean, the language is true. Unless I am disciplined and diligent in how I approach my Christian life, in how I approach my relationship with God, in how I approach discipleship, then I don't know where I would be. A godly character doesn't just happen. As Thomas Schreiner writes, it doesn't just emerge from passivity or lassitude. In other words, lethargy. No. Peter says, listen, for this very reason, you've got everything you need. Everything has been supplied by God's divine power for you. And so for that reason, make every effort to add. Grace, it's all grace, but it precedes demand. And so when I realize I've, I've covered a relatively, or I've covered a lot in a relatively short space of time, and I've probably raised heaps of questions, but as we walk out these doors this morning, those doors are those doors, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take this phrase with you. Take this phrase with you. From Second Peter, take it, reflect on it, read it, learn it, memorize it. If you can't memorize seven verses, just memorize this one. Learn it, but then get stuck in because some assembly is required. Some assembly is required. And next time what we're going to do, or the next number of times what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at the specifics. We're going to start exploring the seven virtues. We're going to start unpacking these seven character qualities that we are to make every effort to add as we unlock the secret of more. We're going to sing together as, as we close uh, we're going to sing a song, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. It's, it's a song that's a reflective song. It's going to give an opportunity for you to just reflect and consider and maybe read over, start learning uh, th th those verses. But the reason I kind of chose this song to finish this morning is see in the last verse, it says, Be still for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. And he comes to minister his grace and in faith receive from him. These are all the kind of words we're going to sing in the third verse of this. So as we think about God's power, as we think about God's grace, as we think about the faith that he has gifted us with, let's use this time to just reflect and consider how are we getting on in making every effort to add to what God has given us.